0: Good evening. Welcome to Midweek. Today we're going to be concluding our series on image and what it means to be created in the image of God. Remember, originally we talked about how we were created in God's image, both body or in completely body, soul, and spirit that God created us to be in His image, not just in one dimension, but in our total being. And so every aspect of who we are has the ability and was created to reflect the image of God. And and then we talked about how we are able to reflect the image of God in our compassion. That compassion was actually an active word, that it wasn't something that was passive, but it was something that was used with force, how Jesus had compassion and then he would move and act. And in our ways of showing compassion, we actually have the ability to reflect the image of God. And last week we talked about choices, how the choices we make gives us the ability to also show the image of God. In fact, that was one of the things that helps... Or reveals to us that we were created in his image was the freedom that we are able to act in. Remember I made the toxic concoction up here uh, last week that showed that our life is like baking a cake. And you can bake it with all the good things that produce a good cake. Or you can mix it with things that are toxic. And many times we add toxic things to our lives that produce toxic results. And today what I want to talk about is the image of God and how it contains community. And turn to Genesis chapter 1. We started here and we need to end here because this is how the story begins, the story of us. And so we're going to start Genesis 1. We're going to read verses 1 through 27. It says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was without shape and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the watery deep. But the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the water. God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, so God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night. There was evening, there was morning, marking the first day. God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate water from water. So God made the expanse and separated the water under the expanse from the water above it. It was so. God called the expanse sky. There was evening and there was morning, a second day. God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. It was so. God called the dry ground land and the gathered waters he called seas. God saw that it was good. God said, let the land produce vegetation, plants yielding seeds according to their kind, and trees bearing fruit with seed and according to their kinds. It was so. The land produced vegetation, plants yielding seeds according to their kinds, and the trees bearing fruit with seeds and according to their kinds. God saw that it was good. There was evening and there was morning. A third day. God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night and let there be signs to indicate seasons and days and years and let them serve as lights in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth. It was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to rule over the day and the lesser light to rule over the night. He made the stars also. God placed the lights in the expanse of the sky to shine on the earth to preside over the day and the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. God saw that it was good. There was evening, there was morning, a fourth day. God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth, across the expanse of the sky. God created the great sea creatures and every living and moving thing with which the waters swarmed according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. God saw that it was good. God God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the water in the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. There was evening and there was morning, a fifth day. God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, cattle, creeping things, and wild animals, each according to its kind. It was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the cattle according to their kinds, and all the creatures that creep along the ground according to their kinds. God saw that it was good. Then God said, "'Let us make humankind in our image after our likeness, so they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the cattle and over all the earth and over all the creatures that move on the earth.'" God created humankind in his own image, in the image of God he created them, male and female he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and every creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I now give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the entire earth and every tree that has fruit and seed in it, they will be yours for food and all the animals of the earth and to every bird of the air and to all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant of food. It was so. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. There was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. And Father, as we once again look at your creation, may... We learn from this beginning, Father, of what it means to be created in your image. And I pray you would bless our understanding of your words. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the interesting things in in this passage that we see is how God gives this description of himself. That these words that describe God are really unique, and it's meant to be so, so that we can have a deeper understanding of the nature and character of God. Because when it says, let us created man in our image, you start thinking, who is us? It's not like we talk in the third person about ourselves or maybe you know someone who talks about themselves in the third person and it's kind of strange. Like that Sam, he went to Starbucks the other day and you know what he did. You know, when you hear someone like that, it's kind of like you're a little too thinking of yourself. But when God is talking about these things and the third person it's to give us a dynamic of something about God to give us understanding of who he is. And when it says the word God, it's the word Elohim. Everyone say Elohim. And Elohim is a plural. Now it doesn't mean many, but it has the idea of plurality. It's kind of like a deer is one deer, unless there's a bunch of deer, then they're more than one deer, but they're still deer. Or elk. Or do you say elks? I think elk is, right? There's a bunch of elk. Um, Anyway, I don't say elk much. So Elohim has this idea of plurality. Let us make man in our image. And even the word Lord that is used here is the word Adonai. Everyone say Adonai. Adonai is also a word that's used as plural. A-I. And so here are these descriptions of God that are meant to help us understand that God is very complex. Now, as tradition has progressed, we see Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the idea of a creator God. We see the idea of God creating through the movement of the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit hovered on the waters and brought forth life. And then we see the Son, who is the one who brought redemption to mankind. And we see God is one, but we see that God has these persons about Him, even though He is one God. And even the word that is used for men here, or mankind, is the word ish, and it also is plural. And so we see that God is dealing with Himself as a plural, and then He's dealing with mankind in this plurality. And it's almost as if you could say, They made them in their image. That's kind of an idea of let us make man in our image is they, God, made them, mankind, in their image. And although God is this plurality in himself, he is singular, but he contains these different facets of his person, mankind is vast. And when he made mankind, he's talking about all human beings on the face of the earth. But one of the things that we start to see in God and is consistent throughout Scripture is there is this understanding of God being a person who contains within himself three persons. Excuse me, turn my phone off. <laughs> And ask, are you there? Yes, I am, but I'm busy right now. <laughs> I should take a picture and say, yes, I am, but not now. <laughs> and so the idea of God being in three persons, this kind of community in himself, and then dealing with all mankind is really showing us something. And if there's one thing that we see, or a couple of things that we see persistent throughout all of scripture, is one, that we are to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That we are to give our lives to God completely and totally. That he is worthy of our lives, our worship. But the second thing is that we are to love others even as we love others ourselves that you are to love the lord your god but then you are to love your neighbor as yourself and these consistent persistent themes throughout scripture show that we are to have a healthy connection to god but then what is necessary also is a healthy connection to each other and that to bear the image of god we also to have to have this connection with one another. In other words, you cannot stand alone. In fact, in chapter 2, verse 8, before the fall, when God and Adam were having a conversation and God was bringing all the animals before Adam, God says, it is not good for the man to be alone. And if that is not one of the most poignant things, Verses and all of history, let alone scripture, we need to take that in. Because part of the image of God is not just our connection to God, but it is our connection to each other. That we were created to live in community. You were made for connection. You were made for this interdependence. You were made to be together with other people. You were made to need other people. And needing other people doesn't make you needy. Now, you might be needy, but it doesn't make you needy. It's that you were created to be connected to other people. And this is one of the ways that we also bear the image of God when we were talking about wholeness and the series we did on complete, remember the the last topic we did on that series was to be whole, you need others in your life. And that's one of the difficult things is because others are the ones who cause conflict in our lives, but we need them to be complete. And the same thing is true to bear the image of God. You need other people in your life to be able to reflect accurately the image of God in your life. That you can't stand out on your own. And we see that this is a common thing throughout human history. People have always gravitated to other people whether it's in their ethnicity, whether it's in a culture, whether it's in a sports team, whether it is in music, people are always drawn to these pockets of community. In fact, we were just talking about this a little bit earlier, technology. You know, we talk about how fast technology has grown, but have you noticed that the areas that technology advances most are in the areas that connect us to other people. Look at social media. Last year, like October of last year, they estimated that 13 point whatever billion people were on Facebook. That's like the whole population of China. Facebook, if it were a country, would be the largest country in the world. And all it is is a... Network to connect people together. When I was in Haiti and we were going into the remote parts of Haiti, you see people with donkeys and carrying chickens on their head, walking, and they have a cell phone. And you think, what? How can they have a cell phone? You go to a school that's remote and they have a little bit of electricity and they have a computer and the kids are there around the computer and they are on Facebook in the middle of Haiti, in the middle of nowhere. Why? Because connection is so important. And so we keep advancing technology. You see, I thought for sure by now I would have a car like the Jetsons that I could hop in the bubble, shut it, and then I could fly somewhere. But we don't. When we don't have hoverboards, like in Back to the Future, there are certain areas it seems like, wow, we haven't advanced, but when it comes to being able to connect to one another, we've got Twitter, we've got Facebook. It's amazing that you can have a hashtag and it can go viral, that it can have hundreds of thousands of people connecting to just that hashtag because some... TV personality says something. And all of a sudden, the world is in a conversation and they are connected because of what is taking place. You see, God has created us with this desperate need for community. You, as an individual, first shows up, the idea of you as an individual first shows up in the scripture when the serpent is talking to Adam. And that day you eat of it. Did God say you would surely die? Oh, he didn't mean that. And so this idea of individual first shows up with the serpent deceiving Adam. And and if anything, the biggest deception is that we are autonomous and apart from everyone else. The biggest deception is that we don't need other people in our lives, and probably the most problematic area is how we deal with one another in our lives. And so we see that there is supposed to be a connection. It is important. The idea of one another or each other occurs over a hundred times in the Scripture. And I want you to hear a few of them. And I've kind of put these together, and some of them I'm going to repeat because they're there more than one time, but there's a theme that takes place in this idea of one another or each other. Okay, it says, be at peace with each other. Wash one another's feet. Love one another, 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 love one another. another." Love one another. Now, if repetition has anything to do with importance, we should see that loving one another is important as it's repeated over and over again in Scripture. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Live in harmony with one another. Stop passing judgment on one another. Accept one another just as Christ accepted you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, if repetition has anything of importance, I don't know. You filter that one out. When you come together to eat, wait for one another. Be concerned for one another. Serve one another in love. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, you will destroy each other. Let's not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Carry each other's burdens. Be patient and bearing one another in love. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ and humility. Consider others better than yourselves. And that's just a handful of the passages that deal with one another. And we see in this this overflowing theme that you are supposed to be there for each other. And you see what happens, the problem that happens is we start to think, Others are there for me. And we start to have a mentality of I want to be served and we lose the understanding that you are here to give of yourself to others and then others start doing the same thing and then pretty soon we start dying and we start failing to reflect the image of God. And we need to see that if we would have this attitude of all these scriptures towards each other, caring, bearing each other's burden, loving, then it will help us to be who we were created to be. And if you and I would make love our aim, loving one another, if we would make love our aim, then we would never be alone a day in our lives. But when you find someone who starts becoming a recluse and secluded all by themselves, and you find them alone at their lives, at the end of their lives, what you are finding is a person who did not see the importance of others in their lives. And loneliness isn't because people don't like you. Loneliness is because you are not reflecting the image of God and the need to be connected to others. And this is an important aspect of who we are supposed to be. Instead of looking how other people are going to treat us, let's have this mentality of all these scriptures about the responsibility that we are going to take in our relationship to other people, that we will esteem them more important than ourselves. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 4. John makes it really clear of how this image of God is to show up in our lives. 1 John chapter 4, starting at verse 7. John writes, Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God. And everyone who loves has been fathered by God and knows God. The person who does not love does not go, know God because God is love. By this, the love of God is revealed in in us that God has sent his one and only son into the world so that we may live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And I find this is so interesting that God is revealed in us because he sent his son For us, not that we loved him, but that he loved us. And that's painting a picture of how we are to act. Not that other people are nice to us or kind to us or love us, but that we are to love them. That is what he's driving at here. Verse 11, he says, Dear friends, if God so loved us, then we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God resides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we reside in God and he in us, that he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. You see, no one has seen God, but if love is in you, and you love others, then God resides in you. Then people see God because of how you are interacting and the quality of relationship you have with others. And probably the clearest way that you and I can reflect the image of God is by how we conduct ourselves with other people. And knowing this should give us an arsenal of how we act. But now, we're to love the people of this world, but that seems really vast, doesn't it? There's a lot of people and I only have so much time. Okay? I mean, it's like, how do I love everybody? It's like, I I, I got things to do. I've got a Message I got to get back to someone right now, and you know, how do we do that? So, I want to talk about three areas that we can show this love in our relationships with other people. And so, I'm going to kind of give an illustration here. I love this big chalkboard, and so the first one I'm going to call this Moments. And this is area where we have moments where we're connected to other people. And there's a scripture, Hebrews 13.2, which is a cool scripture. Hebrews 13.2, it says, do not neglect hospitality because through it, some have entertained angels without knowing it. Isn't that one that gives you the shivers? That, that there are spiritual beings That you may have been unaware, but that's why you are supposed to show hospitality to them. And so these moments are are just these short times where you interact with people. It might be your barista at Starbucks. 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 It, It might be a waitress. It might be someone at school who's in your class, but you just see on occasion or someone who comes into your workplace that you have moments and encounters with them. It's not like you're always with them, but here's an area where you have the opportunity to always be hospitable to them. And so it's not like you have a deep relationship with everybody, but these moments where people come into your life are opportunities for you to show kindness, for you to show hospitality. How many times from this moment of hospitality has something more developed? A deeper relationship or a question. I've shared before how I was a dog trainer and I went to train a dog and the mom called me and asked me to help her son who was on drugs. All I did was act hospitable. And I was more towards the dog than even the people. But you see, hospitality is one of these ways where we can intersect with people. You might never see them again. In fact, sometimes we act as if that's a cop-out, right? You don't care. You're going to the store. You don't care how you look because I'm never going to see them again anyway. You know, and some people you see and they're there. I remember one day I was at the store and I saw four people in their pajamas I'm like, what is going on? Is this pajama day? I didn't know. And and it's like, well, I'm never going to see them again, so I don't care. And we use that as kind of a cop-out where, you see, everyone that we know will have an opportunity, everyone we encounter will have an opportunity to have some kind of impact in their lives. And, And it's meant to be this way. We are meant to have this kind of impact in our lives. You see, Jesus said, I'm going to give you a new commandment to love one another just as I have loved you. So are you supposed to love each other? And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. And so even people who have a short moment in our lives, we have the opportunity to show love towards by just being hospitable. So those are people we just encounter. Don't make light of that. Don't think I'll never see them again. Well, you might. And just by that interaction, you might be able to develop a deeper connection and you might even be entertaining angels and you don't even know it. The second is mission. And mission is a little bit deeper. It has to do with... Dealing with one another. And so Galatians chapter 6 verse 2. Galatians chapter 6 verse 2. It says carry one another's burden. And then this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Mission is when you are. In. Unity and in movement with somebody else. You are on a journey together. This is the band of brothers kind of mentality. We are in the battlefield together. You're at work and you are working towards a common goal. You know, it's meant to be this understanding of you are here for a purpose. And it's important to recognize that all of Paul's letters, when Paul is writing, he's assuming that you have intent in your life. He's not writing to people who are, oh, I'm just kind of thinking about these Christian things. No, he's he's writing about people who have committed their lives to Christ and are moving with the intention to live and serve God. And again, it was more emphasized at that time because people actually were dying for their faith, which makes it seem like, okay, it's a little bit more intent. You see, this idea of mission is what we are supposed to be as a church community. We are here to serve together to bring about the message of Jesus Christ. We are here to help one another in the needs that each of us have. There is supposed to be intention. There is supposed to be purpose. The problem is some people treat church as if it's just moments, right? They come in, I see you and I leave, but they're not in mission with the purpose that is going on. And this is one of the struggles that we are trying to get everyone to understand we are in this together, that we make up the body of Christ and that by doing this, we fulfill our purpose in God creating us in his image by our interaction with one another. See, by our serving each other's We develop a deeper layer in relationship. And that's why, like when we go to a man camp and the guys all work together and put some, you know, events together, it bonds us. The ladies with the word and deed, when they get together and they go out and serve the community, it connects them together. When you come alongside on a Sunday morning and help set up, it makes you bond to these you know, different relationships. The guys go out riding bikes. They're in this different kind of attitude, mission to survive your bike ride. <laughs> and so there's this idea of mission that's taking place. And then there's one more in the deeper level, and this one... Titled meaning. And I don't mean by meaning that the others don't mean anything, but the meaning has a lot more to do with meaning. It brings meaning to your life. You see, getting married brought meaning to my life. Having children brought meaning to my life just because of who they are It brings a different sense, a different essence to who I am. And this idea of meaning are the people you would give a kidney for. You know, it's the kind of person, yeah, I would go out on the limb for you because you are that important to me. I remember years ago when my son Daniel... was just a little kid and it was at a family camp and I was giving a devotion there and I was talking about how, you know, God loves us and it's like how I love my son and my children and, you know, I would give my life for them. My son there was sitting there looking at me and I don't know, he was maybe eight years old or so and his eyes were just wide as saucers and they started filling up with tears as I was just saying, I'd give my life for my kids and I could just see he was having the moment right there, right? And so afterwards, I sat down with him. I go, hey, son, what's going on? I could see something's happening. He goes, dad, when you said you'd give your life for me, you know you said that? I go, yeah. He goes, I understand. I understand how God loves me. And it brought meaning to him that my love for him brought meaning to his understanding of God's love for him. And you see, this meaning is something that is important. And, and for here, we'd say John. John fifteen thirteen. There, fit it in. No one has greater love than this, than one lays down his life for his friends. And Jesus says, I call you friends. When we hear stories of sacrifice, it moves us because I believe in it we see the divine. When you hear of firemen running into a building that is being consumed by fire and collapsing to rescue someone, it moves you because in that picture you see a glimpse of God. And this area of meaning and this depth of love probably more than anything else helps people to see who God is and a little bit more clearly what he looks like. Not physically, but in essence and in character. And these things are important. Have you ever heard, you know, some of these, I I think, I forget when it was last week, I was talking about those sayings that bother me, like everything happens for a reason. Yes, again, yeah, maybe you were stupid and made a stupid decision. It's our way to alleviate our responsibility and say, well, God's going to make everything good no matter what I do. There's another one that says, well, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. You guys heard that one? That's a lie. Uh, There are things that may not kill you, but they will leave you maimed for the rest of your life. And you see, one of the things that happened is I've seen a lot of people who have been hurt and maybe it hasn't killed them, but it has wounded them deeply in how they interact with other people and even some instances how they're able to receive from God. Because I've been hurt so badly by this person, it has injured my ability to connect with other people and even to connect with God. So many times children who have been abused by an adult have a hard time coming to God because here is someone who was supposed to be a person that protected me and caused me harm, and that now affects my understanding of who God is supposed to be. I mean, Paul talks about marriage as being this mystery that he's talking about Christ and the church, but he's talking about a husband and wife, that this connection of love between two individuals has this mysterious ability to represent God. And when you see a marriage that has endured and has grown through the difficulties, what you are doing is seeing what love looks like when it sticks things out and doesn't give up and when it grows in spite of the difficulties and the character that's developed through The hard times. You see, it it is those times of stress, those times of tension that are the defining moments in that marriage or, or that relationship that determines whether it will grow or whether it will fail. It's in those times where you feel like I want to run away. I want to give up. I want to throw in the towel because it's just too difficult that there is the opportunity for something to take place that is actually divine. Now, of course, there are relationships that need to be Severed. There are areas of abuse or neglect, areas of betrayal where there is not the intention of repentance, which is an abandonment, where those kinds of things will only cause more harm. It's not saying that when you forgive someone, you have to, again, trust them. But when there is difficulty, there is the opportunity to say, okay, if I am created in God's image, God who is a plurality within himself, I am meant to be connected to other people. I am being fragmented right now by being pulled apart. How can I hold this together so that I can better reflect you? And it's important because people will let you down. Right? Anyone not learned that yet? But remember, Jesus at the table, saying, This is my body broken for you. Here's my blood poured out for you. The new covenant. Was sitting at the table with the one who would betray him, with Judas himself. And Jesus. Practice this love, extending himself even though he was going to be betrayed. You see, you will never be put to shame for trying to love. Be wise, but you will never look back and say, what a fool I was for trying to make love work. Now, someone else may be a fool for... Betraying that love, or a fool for neglecting that love or leaving. But you will never be a fool or ashamed for trying to make love work. And sometimes it's hard because our pride says, I don't want to be made a fool. And that's a difficult thing to deal with. Be wise in your relationships. That you have, but don't let being wounded kill love's potential in you. When I was in Wales, it was 2005, I believe. We had a group that went out there and we went into one of the city centers. It was in Swansea, Wales. And we went to a skate park and we connected with a bunch of younger kids who were skating and things like that. And I remember there was a couple of kids specifically who we were talking to quite often. And they were just like, oh, you guys are Christian. And they were like, oh, I believe in evolution. And I believe in this. And I believe in this. And they were just really hostile against the idea of Christianity. And some of the guys were out there with their Bible. Well, the Bible says. And they were doing this. And they would say, oh, well, this, this, and this. And there was a lot of that kind of dialogue going back and forth. But we kept saying, hey, why don't you come with us? We're going to go grab something to eat. Or, hey, come up to the dorms with us. We're going to hang out. And, hey, do this with us. And they just started spending time with us. We were playing guitar and talking. And, oh, what song? Oh, you like this band? And we are playing different music. Here's a Led Zeppelin song I know. Oh, yeah, here's a hot ch- Red Hot Chili Pepper song I know. And just kind of going through these things and just spending time with them. And in about... Eight days. One of the kids came up and he said, "You know what? I want to receive Jesus." And I remember asking him, "Why?" (laughs) Not the greatest thing to ask, I guess, but I was like, "Well, why? What's going on? I mean, what changed? Did we answer all your arguments about you know evolution? I mean, I didn't ask him that, but I just wanted to know. Well, what's gone on?" He goes, "I just, I want what you have." And what it was is he saw us with a common purpose. We were on mission to connect people to the love that God has and that was something that he needed and we don't understand. He needed it because it was how he was created. He was created to need that community and he didn't have it like he saw it. And when he saw it, it just made sense to his soul that this is what I need. And sometimes our soul knows what it needs before our mind understands. And when he saw it, it was like a magnet. All his arguments meant nothing to what he needed in his soul. And so when we are created in God's image, let us make man in our image. It is talking about the connection that we are to have to God and to each other. We were made to be in community. It is not good for a man to be alone. And if you find yourself staying away, pushing others away, not wanting to deepen the relationship, not wanting to go from moments to mission to meaning, then you need to make some changes. You need to stick around a little bit longer and talk a little bit more. You need to involve yourself in something, whether it be here at Genesis or somewhere where you can deepen that relationship and you have to have the things that are important enough and the people that are important enough in your life that bring meaning to who you are as a people, as a person. Because that's how we reflect the image of God. Let's pray. Father, it is difficult to see sometimes the lack in our own lives. We, we put up a good front, even to ourselves. And God, I, I pray that we would not lie to ourselves about our need for this community, the need for deep and important relationships. And I pray that everyone who is here, Lord, who maybe is lacking in in these areas, that you would bring that understanding and clarity to them. You would bring a revelation to them so that they could make the changes necessary. Lord, we are here to grow. We are here to learn. And so may we take the things that we have, looked at this evening and see what needs to change in our lives, what steps we can make to bring about those changes. I pray you bless everyone here, Lord, and help us to deepen this community, Genesis, that we would be known because of how we love you and because of how we love each other. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.